Hi, I'm Jay Farner, CEO of Quicken Loans. 30% of Americans who are planning home improvements of $5,000 or more will pay for those renovations with a high-interest credit card. That may not be a great idea. A better idea may be to take cash out of your home with a Quicken Loans 30-year fixed-rate mortgage. The rate today on our 30-year fixed-rate mortgage is 3.99%, APR 4.08%. Call us today at 800-QUICKEN or go to rocketmortgage.com. Rate subject to change. Pay 1.25% fee to receive this discounted rate. Call for cost information and conditions. Equal housing lender. License in all 50 states. NMLS number 3030. All right, you're back in the DFSR. It's an NBA podcast. It's Wednesday. It's November 21st. I'm Doug Norrie. That is James Davis. DailyFantasySportsRankings.com is the site, but you don't want to type in all those letters. So you type in DFSR.com and then you hit backslash deals. And it's going to get you, the podcast listener, seven days free trial to our projection system powered by our good friends over at Lineup Lab. If you sign up today, you're good through Thanksgiving weekend. That's a whole holiday with us. That's Thursday, Friday. Friday. Can't even do all the math. It's so many days out. You're going to be covered all the way through Sunday. Uh, go so go try to sign up right now. So what's, the, what's the catch though? Like I don't. There's no catch. You just get to hang out with us in the ch- in our pre- premium <laughs> chat room. It's like yeah, no, Holy no catch. God. It's unbelievable. But we don't have time for this though. We have 13 games on this <laughs> NBA slate um, that we just need to get to. Uh, they NBA does NBA is smart. They're just the smartest league. This is why they're going to end up taking over the sports world. They just do things correctly. I.e., they're like you know what? We're not even going to try to compete with Thanksgiving. All the players are going to be off tomorrow. Uh, let football have its day. We'll be back again Friday with all the games. But they just about every team is playing tonight, and we have a lot to cover. We're going to break these games down uh, game by game, go through some of the injury news, take a look at what you can expect on a big slate, where I have to say, after writing the picks from last night, they this, the, the pricing is very tight. FanDuel's done a good job. We talked about this. Um, the, the, the pricing is tight that you really, at this point, even with a huge slate, need pretty significant injury news in order to begin unlocking even moderate value because even bench guys at this point are priced appropriately if they play any kind of minutes. But we'll get well, this that. is the trouble about doing a podcast at 9 a.m. here yeah. because the thing is, on a slate this big, somebody is going to wind up missing a game yep. for reasons we don't know about right now. But we just don't know who it is right now. <laughs> so I guess what we're probably most likely this podcast, if you're listening to it, is going to help you figure out you know games to look at and also specific guys who will be like, that filler around the really good value plays that come up. So. Yeah, we're just setting a base here, buddy. Just laying down a base, an NBA base. base. That's it. Yeah. <laughs> and we're going to get everyone covered sort of way. And obviously, you, if you're signed up for our premium subscription, you'll be in chat with all of our users. There's going to be a ton of people in there tonight. Both James and I will both be in there talking basketball. Uh, and that's when we really, that's when the rubber really hits the road on what kind of plays you're making when all the news is coming in. All right, we all right. are getting into it. Let's go. New, the Pelicans go in and play the Sixers. Sixers are four-point home favorites here in a game with a massive 237 over-under. That is easily the highest of the day. It's not even close. ton of points going up here for teams. Um, they just have a lot of superstars going. The big news out of Philly, I'm not sure how big of a news it is, but it's worth mentioning is Markel Fultz is now going to sit it's unclear if it's like an actual injury or just he's terrible and we just don't really know what to do with this guy or something in between. But he's basically just completely out of the rotation now, um, and they are starting Wilson Chandler. This is obviously a game I feel like we're going to want to have exposure to, and I'm worried a little bit that, again, like I said at the beginning, that we're seeing just proper pricing on basically every guy. And, I mean, fading a game with a 237 over-under to start feels like it's not where I want to start. Let's start with New Orleans. What do we want like here? And then we can talk about the Sixers. Sure. I was actually going to think about the Sixers first. Go so ahead. Let's start you do whatever you want, buddy. We're because I was already looking at all these guys. Uh, the Sixers, I think, are, are kind of interesting because one thing I appreciate about them is that they basically just turned Jimmy Butler into Robert Covington. Yeah. <laughs> like, they went to all this trouble to get... This like superstar, and now Jimmy Butler's lines like look conspicuously similar to Robert Covington's, mm-hmm. maybe without the rebounds or something. But uh, averaging twenty eight fantasy points across the last two games, not really like game scripts that went out of their way to not favor him or anything. I, I not bullish on Jimmy Butler's prospects going forward. I also think someone like Ben Simmons, you know, he's had excellent you know triple double style games in the last two games. He looks a little bit on the expensive side to me. I think if I was targeting a sixer out of this game, it would probably be Embiid. I think he's fairly likely to play his full run of minutes tonight with you know coming off multiple or uh, yeah one night off. And we've seen that the Sixers and Embiid in particular, when he smells blood in the water, he can really go off. And New Orleans over the last couple of years has just been one of these teams. It's one of the very worst in the NBA at defending opposing centers. So Embiid is really the guy I'm honing in on from the Sixers side right now. 
Yeah, right. Um, right. They have been a little bit better this year against opposing setters, and I don't know if that's just moving AD strictly to the to the five has has kind of done that. And again, they pay such a fast pace, and I, I even so, if you look at DVP numbers, it's not going to tell the full tale of like what you can get. And also, Embiid is just like a transcendent talent. I do have some thoughts here on the Sixers. In that one, I'm increase the Jimmy Butler thing. It's interesting you pointed this out because I'm increasingly skeptical that Brett Brown is the guy that can coach a team like this. And there's like little mm. warning, little warning signs and it, but it affects, it affects us from a DFS standpoint specifically the other night, he had a rotation against the Suns where all three of Simmons and Bede and Butler were sitting on the bench. Like if you have these three guys that can just never happen. Right. And so the reason I mentioned this from strictly from a sure. Butler standpoint is because Butler is going to find his usage when those other guys are not on the court. It's, it's, it's a rotating thing. Like and Bede's usage really is not in question. He is clearly the man, no matter who's on the court. But Butler, if he's going to just sit on the bench with those guys and they're going to run out like a TJ McConnell, Wilson Chandler, Mike Muscala kind of lineup, that is going to – those off minutes for players really matter. Like when Beal is on the court for like six minutes without Wall, it really matters. CJ McCollum for the six minutes or seven minutes without Damian Lillard really matter for them. And if Brett Brown is not going to do this, and I can't understand why he wouldn't, it's going to you're going to not see this usage climb back up now again you can yeah i mean we've seen like a jimmy butler and like kind of that lou williams or lance stevenson sort of role could be absolutely insane shredding second units right exactly like i just don't <laughs> he doesn't like, even need to only be out there for the second unit but he's also a guy not unaccustomed to playing big minutes so, so yeah, if you if you follow basketball you have to follow you have to pay attention to rotations and this is what it was it was an alarming sign that this was just an oversight anyway um just something to keep an eye on i don't mind a Wilson Chandler sort of punt play if he's going to play a lot of minutes now. He's never going to get a lot of shots, but he can probably make it up along the margins. Mike Muscala kind of fits the same mold for me on a night where if we if we get no injury news on the pike, these guys might fill, fill a need of playing some cheap guys. On the on the uh, Pelican side, the Phillies a very good defense, and I is this the but this game has a huge total. Is this is AD the guy that we want to spend up for? Um, it's Meredith, Drew, Drew Holiday. So we're spending a lot of time in this game, but it's it's definitely more DFS relevant than some of the other matchups we're going to look at. Yeah, I was just thinking that actually because <laughs> we both have a hard out in like 50 minutes. But yeah, I think Davis is in fine play. I think, you know, even someone like Drew Holiday, these guys are playable, but you're here on the 13 game slate and, you know, the bar for being a DFS cash game play is pretty high. Uh, I think Davis, the one thing he has going for him is a power forward is just so oh bad. It's and awful. The people who cover Davis on Philly aren't that obvious to me because. You know, he just has this kind of unique skill set that doesn't really lend itself to any of the guys on Philly being the appropriate guy to to mark him. So I'm not exactly sure how they're going to try to manage that. But yeah, I think you know Davis and, and again Holiday, um, especially with him being back filling in essentially as the point guard. If you can play a point guard at the shooting guard position, uh, that tends to raise your floor on any given night. And you can see this in the last six games out of Holiday. Actually, it's, I'm sorry. 50 games out of holiday it looks like going back to october 29th he has only one game with fewer than 40 fantasy points so at an 8800 price tag even in a tough matchup i could see him being kind of a nice high floor option at again shooting guard is the is a light version of power forward but a position that oftentimes winds up being a little rough Pacers and Charlotte do not have a line in the game right now, specifically because Victor Oladipo is questionable to play. Uh, he's mm-hmm. the kind of player that you know Vegas will wait for the line to get set and to determine like you know what his status is. He's questionable. He sat out last game uh, when Indiana played the Jazz. Now they crushed the Jazz without him. They beat him by like forty points or something like something crazy. Tyreek Evans did get the start. He was like a ninety percent cash game start. The minutes weren't in the. He really didn't do much to be honest with you. Now it's unclear what the plan would be. I have to believe the plan is if the, in a close game that he plays like 33, 34 minutes it's along with Collison and possibly yeah. uh, Corey Joseph as well too. He did score 25 fantasy points, which is pushing up against value. It's definitely per minute value on Evans if he's going to play 33 minutes. If the, if they were without Victor Oladipo again, could we go back to a – people really didn't want to play Collison the other day. I couldn't believe it. It's like shocking to me. But anyway, could we go back to a Collison, <laughs> Tyreek Evans, possibly Corey Joseph – stack coming cheap like would this represent the cheap sort of puntish they're not specifically punts but would they represent like something like punt options on a slate even on this big of a slate if, if Debo didn't play I mean I would absolutely be interested in Collison and Evans I think your point about them like, like so people had this impression going into the game probably felt a little bit risky you know both the guys haven't been excellent on a points per dollar basis Collison winds up getting there Evans really doesn't on his current price and so people are going to be gun shy going into this but 
100% the plan was for those guys to play more minutes if that game had a normal game script. So for those two, I would be thrilled to have them in my cash game lineups, and I would be pumped to see if other people didn't. Uh, as for Corey Joseph, I think it's a little bit closer because... It, he was the guy that was started. Joseph, he, he was more than Collison, like higher ownership than Collison. I, just, I couldn't believe it. it yeah, people just sense. like Corey. They, they always want to dream on Corey Joseph or Fred Van Vliet or any of these guys. So... The thing about the backup guys, though, is that it doesn't always that trickle up effect doesn't always work the way you think it's going to work. Yeah. Like some, oftentimes, teams in the NBA just have rotations that they're interested in, and they're just going to stick with them. And you know, we've seen this like with the Spurs and Patty Mills. You know, like if he didn't get the start in the past, he would just still play his normal backup minutes even when Parker sat. And that was something we were burned by many times. Actually, uh, Fred VanVleet has been similar ordeal on right in, in Toronto, and I believe that the Pacers want to play Joseph, you know, around 26 minutes a game. They'll go higher if they need to. He's still cheap. It's not like he'd be a terrible player or anything, but just don't I wouldn't personally be dreaming on the 35-minute Corey Joseph game. So, I uh he's definitely the third in that list of guys I would want to consider there. Um the other injury news uh piece from this is that oh, I, oh yeah, Miles Turner is questionable. I guess if he were to sit then we would get a Devonis uh, Sabonis start. That guy's seventy five hundred on Fanduel. So it's like the, the days of Sabonis like coming in and getting that spot start at center, and you get him at forty five hundred on Fanduel are so far gone that I just can't even. Even if he got the start, like I'm not even sure he'd be a value at his current price points. They just he's been crazy on a permanent basis in the last couple of games. Oh, don't like get me wrong, minutes, averaging twenty seven minutes and forty three fantasy points. He's so. pushing up eight thousand dollars. I like I, I get it. That well, he's seventy one hundred on Fanduel right now. Oh, so, okay, seventy still. It's it, it's he would need. Something like 35 minutes, I think, for our system to be a value, and I would not feel confident putting no. him there if he got the start. And it would be close, and this would probably be uh, a decision. This this would be a decision that it would be get closer to lock. Kemba. It's also just, by the way, pretty darn tough to sustain that level of production. I think if you you know zoom out on him a little bit and look at his just season long production, something more like you know 1.1, 1.2 fantasy points per minute would already be somewhat aggressive based on our preseason projections for him and he's definitely rebounding the ball a hell of a lot more than i thought he was capable of doing and probably needs a little bump up in our system because of that but yeah if he's going to play 30 minutes he's not a 7100 player in my mind um i saw i've been seeing articles posted about kemba walker being in the nba the uh, mvp discussion now i will say at the end of the season i'm sure those articles are not going to age well and this is like early season i need something to write about but it does speak to just how good walker has been this year he's been one of the guys we've talked about as just basically becoming a new player um which is crazy in like his eighth season to just basically have the coaching say hey you're just going to be like one of the highest usage guys in the, in the in the league he's averaging 30 points a game the assists are still there too he's 30 points a game and his, his best assist numbers of his career and it's his highest well. field goal percentage ever too it's crazy <laughs> he's just he's just he's just doing everything it's it's nuts he's taking more than 10 threes a game this guy's like steph curry basically hey what do we do with what do we do with walker here he's he's very expensive not a terrible matchup here against Indiana. The perimeter defense for them is is not great. Could you see rostering him maybe more of as a GPP play because sort of dreaming on the upside? Yeah, I think dreaming on the upside makes sense for a guy. Like if you know you have 30 shot upside, you're always going to be in the GPP discussion. Uh, you know, kind of hope that you get the points and then he fills in around the edges with the peripheral stats, which is definitely not necessarily his strong suit. Uh, the issue here for me is that the matchup is just not very good. Uh, Indiana right now, they are see the third slowest pace in the league and they're a top five defense too so i just don't a top two defense in terms of defensive efficiency i don't think you're gonna i guess it'll, it gets a little bit rosier if oladipo's out because he's a very strong defender but by and large you're just not going to run any charlotte guys into the teeth of the indiana defense here the other game without a line right now is toronto and atlanta and this is because Kawhi is doubtful to play because it's a back-to-back he did play last night um and I, he has not been playing one end of back-to-back so far this season, and that seems like it's going to be the case almost the entire year. So I think that the plan here is to probably sit him. Fantastic matchup for the Raptors. Uh, Atlanta plays fast and plays no defense. You mentioned Fred Van Vliet as a guy. He did get the start for Kawhi last game, and I guess that would be the case again. Would Van Vliet be a guy... You know, he seems like he's representing something of a value at uh, only 4500 right now. He, we have him as... I have him as starting and playing 32 minutes, and he's easily the best points per dollar player in our system. Does that strike you as correct? And if he were to start, do you think we'd see like 90% ownership on a guy that's just coming cheap that we know can get there in terms of fantasy? Well, we didn't the last time he started, I'll tell you that much. <laughs> he was only 30% owned on the 17th, and he was incredible, and he's down the same price. So I think you would, I mean, maybe people learned their lesson. Maybe they didn't. There were a lot of punts. I think that was Saturday night. 
Um, I don't know. Yeah, I mean, for me, he's one of the true no-brainer plays you could possibly imagine. Uh, maybe people will be a little bit, you know, view that situation a little bit more kindly just because Atlanta right now really represents the very best matchup you can have for DFS. I mean, they're playing the league's fastest pace with a bottom four defensive efficiency. So really hard to do a whole lot better than that when you're uh, trying to dream up a team to play against. Uh, so, yeah, I like him. Um, you know, another guy, well, he's pushing up now in, in the pricing, but uh, Siakam wound up being, he was like 70% owned that game or something. Uh, he was the highest owned Raptor on the slate. So you could see some ownership there, even though the price is coming up by about 1000 on him. Uh, yeah, I'll just keep keep looking at this. Oh, Danny Green, he's another one. Danny Green saw very significant ownership and was somewhat solid on uh, only 25 minutes, but he did very well when he was out there. So uh, that was also just a really weird game against Chicago too. Uh, so you could see minutes upside, I think, on some of these guys who were highly owned, kind of got there, and could be even better tonight. Yeah, Siakam could push like 36, 37 minutes if Atlanta can keep the game close, especially if Anobi is out as well. They get, they yeah. start, I mean, he's not strictly a wing, but um, he's so versatile on defense that you could you could see big minutes out of Siakam. I wouldn't be shocked. Again, he's a guy that's getting expensive, but at like 36 minutes, I would, at 7,500, I'd probably rather play Siakam than like, say, Sabonis if he got the start. I'm just kind of comparing yeah, guys at power forward in the same Sort of in the same sort of price range, definitely gets a usage bump with Kawhi off the court. Uh, even with Kawhi off the court, Toronto's a very good defense. Um, this Atlanta team, they played Trey Young a lot the other night. This is these guys are doing the hockey line change just because you start doesn't yeah. matter. This is, a, um, this is a hard pass uh, yep, for me. Yep. Not just up. So. No problem. The other team that I just need to relegate is the Knicks. They are 13 and a half point underdogs to the, to the Celtics uh, going there on the back to back. They started again another night of. Mario Hazonia, you're starting 17 minutes, pal. Just just sit on the bench. I know you started. Like it doesn't. Even, I was saying in the chat last night. I was like, do you think Knicks players even get excited to hear they're starting? Like I, I can't even imagine. Like they just. It's like my kid's soccer team. That oh, you're starting. The kids are like, who cares? Like it's a rec team. They don't. They don't. My daughter doesn't know the difference if she's starting or sitting. Like she's oh cool. I get to walk on the field first. It doesn't really matter. I get the sense that that is this, the case with the Knicks. They start Hazonia and Vonley. Vonley plays is awesome. Hazonia doesn't play at all. Like I. I, mean, I wrote a Vonley because... How about Trey Burke? He's another guy on this team, too. Like, I wonder how Trey Burke feels sometimes. Like, is he the guy... Like, it's kind of like when you date someone, and then there's, like, a vicious, terrible breakup. Maybe you start dating someone else, and then that doesn't end so well, and now you just go back to the first person. And, <laughs> like, do they ever feel, like, totally pumped about that, you know? <laughs> like, they're, like, kind of sitting around. Trey Burke just comes out of nowhere after just playing zero minutes, DNPCD, like, for <laughs> three out of four games. Right. And they're like... Nah, you can play 25 minutes again, dude. Go for it. Well, the Stay best part about these your, guys is like when they finally get their chance to play, they just shoot every time, right? So it's like, so Trey Burke's yeah, like, he well, had 31 I'm, points in that Orlando game. <laughs> if I'm going to get on the court, it's I'm hucking from the Raptors, my boy. Like I just, I, it's my chance to just play. Like I'm I, playing I, for that next contract right <laughs> so, now. <laughs> I guess. So anyway, I, you can consider Vonley played 37 minutes last night. He double doubled, mm-hmm. 14 and 14. He could not start against tonight. So I, I, I just don't. I, I, this is all to say, you can play Vonley because power forward is such a disaster on FanDuel and he's still coming cheap, so he'll probably end up being chalk. He could come off the bench and probably end up being chalk. I don't have no interest in the rest of this team. And the Celtics are a, t- a total, total mess. I, they don't, they, you know, they start Baines over Hayward the other night. Hayward does come in off the bench and play 31 minutes. They are clearly in some kind of we don't know what's going on. We're sort of struggling and we're going to start switching things around until we figure it out. And that is not usually where I want to be from a DFS perspective, no. like outside of maybe Kyrie. Kyrie's the guy who, yeah, man, Celtics are 9-8 right now. Kyrie does seem like his usage and scoring has come back to where we could expect on him, and I'm just not sure. Like, he's 9,000 now. I don't – I mean, is there, is there anything to like here at all from the Celtics? Uh, not especially. I think, again, big slate. I guess you can try to dream on some tournament upside for some of these guys. Like, if you think you happen to catch the Jason Tatum 36-minute game or something – you can kind of try to run with it. Jalen Brown's a guy who like occasionally puts up big numbers but doesn't really get the minutes. I think the Celtics are also in that line change territory. They have better players to do it with, but that doesn't really matter for our DFS purposes. They're all, like to a man, Kyrie is the poster child for this. They're all priced like 
they're going to play the, the, their max minutes. <laughs> and I don't think you want to be there uh, speculating. Certainly not for cash games. And, and certainly to have blowout risk. So the Knicks, I'll say the Knicks, for as bad as they've been, they've at least been sort of feisty in terms of like being able to hang in games. Sure. Um, and just you would think that would help more from DFS perspective, but it really doesn't. All right. Denver goes in and plays Minnesota. Minnesota is a team that has, they continue on their path of just wanting to play their starters all the minutes in the world. They don't have any, there's no injury issues for them at all. And guys like Teague Towns, Taj doesn't really fit here because his minutes have sort of been burned off by bringing Sarich around. Uh, Covington's playing huge minutes and there's, and Wiggins. I, I like them from an overall raw points perspective from their minutes standpoint and Denver's just not a great matchup. What do you, you know, what sort of takeaway from this game? Yeah, I think that's, you summed up my feelings pretty well. The power forward situation is untouchable right now in my mind. Um, someone like Covington, I have to like. I, I feel like he's the most attractively priced guy on this team for me right now. Sixty six hundred is probably fair for him to pay mid thirties minutes, and he's actually been pushing up in like the thirty seven minutes, forty one minutes against New Orleans. So I think they really like him. They really like his defense. Denver's not really a team that demands that you have an incredible wing defender. Uh, so maybe the minutes aren't quite as secure as usual, but you know, Covington's playing more minutes than Andrew Wiggins right now. So I think that he probably represents the safest guy on the team. I don't really have much interest in the guys that are labeled as the point guards, especially on FanDuel where both Rose and Teague are in that mid 6,000 price range. But uh, the minutes, it's just a merry-go-round. You know, someone can play 29 minutes one day, they can play 37 the next. The minutes just come and go a little bit too much for me to feel confident, especially like you mentioned in a not so great matchup here. One thing that probably it's interesting. The one thing I, a stat that I find interesting, at least that Wiggins shoot forty percent from three this year. He's a thirty three percent career shooter. Yeah. It's you know he was the pedigree is there. If the 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 reins are off and he's going to just be a high volume three point shooter, he's shooting almost six attempts a game. If he's going to sustain like a, somewhere around this three point shooting. You have big upside scoring wise for him, and he's a guy that kind of needs to get there in terms of scoring because he doesn't do a ton else uh, just on the court. And so, from a tournament perspective, I don't mind it. It's just it's probably there's a lot of still a lot of mouths to feed on offense, and I would be interesting if they just kind of committed to get him like you know 20 shots a game or something like that. It would be interesting to see what he could do from from beyond the arc, and I'm just not sure that's totally the spot. And then we have Denver. You know, Monte Morris still comes in off the bench and plays a lot. Jokic is a guy that if there's going to be a night where Jokic is going to play max minutes, I feel like this is the one. And yeah. I've been wrong about this in the past about Jokic. Like I just don't. I, this strikes me as the matchup to do it in against Towns and company, and they they can kind of roll big lineups. Uh, is he a guy that has enough upside, or I, I just get so worried about the minutes on Jokic? It's just a tournament play. I mean, max minutes for Jokic right now looks like 34 minutes. That's yep. the most he's played on the season, and he was like fine on this price. You know, he obviously he's going to have that 60 fantasy point upside, 70 fantasy point upside, uh, like he had against Brooklyn there. And I also, I mean, he could play a lot of minutes here, but this isn't exactly like that Brooklyn matchup where he could play a bunch of minutes. And probably just totally dominate, get every single rebound just by virtue of being the tallest guy on the court, right? Uh, he did, the other team he really went up against was Chicago that kind of fit that profile as well. So I just don't, I, I don't think that this is necessarily where I, I definitely don't want to be here for cash and for big tournaments. I don't know. I kind of just feel like I could do better, but yeah, definitely playable though. Ninety three hundred. The second eight o'clock game, Devin Booker is a one point underdog to Zach Levine, and that's I don't really know. That's just that feels like that's going to be the whole entire story of the Suns versus the Bulls. I this could, this has all the makings of a game where these two guys just basically dribble up the court and just chuck all night long. Like I, I'm, I'm kind of only half kidding about saying it's one guy versus the other guy. This is like how these teams roll. Now the, the story with Booker, I'm wondering your thoughts on this. So last game they. The Suns made a lineup switch where they just moved Isaiah Kanan out of the point guard position, made Devin Booker the point guard, moved Mikhail Bridges mm-hmm. into the shooting guards position, even with Ariza coming back. And Booker promptly went out, played 36 minutes, and chuck up 28 shots in 36 minutes against a good wing defense sixer team. If he's the point guard now, do we just need to raise his usage? Like This strikes me as a shift in approach that probably only means many more shots for him, at least in the short term, if they're going to change it. Is this a situation where you'd feel comfortable maybe saying, just bumping his usage up because they've just they've made a clear shift in like how they're probably going to approach their offense? Yeah, so I don't know that you necessarily need to bump the usage up that much. Um, you know, Booker was already one of the highest time of possession shooting guards in the league. I mean, you just look at the last six games in his game log. The fewest assists he had was six. He had multiple 12-assist games. Like, the guys just had the ball in his hands a ton, regardless of what 
the position he's been listed as. Uh, obviously, last game that manifested more in shots rather than assists, but you know, obviously the eight assists were still solid. Um, I think Booker, like certainly I think we can say something is a little bit different than last year just because all season long, basically, the assist numbers have sort of been there. I think that he's a good. He's going to be a good play in good matchups, and oftentimes, what makes a good matchup for the Suns is that they're not going to get blown out. And so, right. since they're not as likely to get blown out against Chicago, uh, and they're not very likely to blow out Chicago, I think he's a good play for those reasons. Um, he is also the type of guy he can get bottled up in the wrong matchup and just kind of disappear. And I don't think that's a big threat tonight against Levine. Uh, still coming off that surprise sickness he had that made him miss. He's feeling um, better Saturday's game. <laughs> yeah, he's <laughs> feeling much better, according to FanDuel, which is really a welcome sign because, you know, after going out there on Friday night and playing 33 minutes against Milwaukee and just having, like, a soul-crushing loss, he just came down with the worst sickness the next morning. <laughs> it was crazy. The it's NBA like flu strikes me again, Me and my man. 17th birthday, you know? We haven't had um, too... I will say, we haven't had too many NBA flus. The season is, the season is early, so we, this is the thing that kind of starts coming around more like January or February. Uh, but this this one was probably one of the first NBA flus that really that really ended up <laughs> actually really mattering. I like Levine going yeah. the other way here, too. I think 25-plus yeah. shots is in the cards for him. This, this team isn't great on defense by any stretch of the imagination. The game does rate to stay close. Could you see... I mean, from a tournament perspective, this strikes me as, at yeah, least for our optimizers, lock in Booker, lock in Levine, and then run the rest of the lineup around it and see what you get. Because if there's a game that can like correlate the very high scoring from both ends, this really this this strikes me as the one. Yeah, I think that sounds right to me. I think uh, and Levine and Booker, like just getting both sides of those or both sides of that shooting guard matchup, I think really gives you all the upside you need from this game. Like I don't even think you need to go crazy speculating around the edges. And again, shooting guard is not amazing tonight anyway, so I think definitely both of those guys should be in your conversation in terms of very highest points per dollar upside plays at the position. This matchup, this next matchup should be feel more exciting and on a night where there's just a ton of games. I'm not sure the narrative totally gets there, but we'll see. But Le- LeBron returns to Cleveland as a nine-point favorite game, again, against... Well, nothing to revenge against. There's just like, dust and ash that's sitting there left in Cleveland now. Um, <laughs> Get your like, revenge. <laughs> revenge, against, revenge against what exactly? Like C.D. Osman, the guy you just don't... There's nothing to revenge Tell against. Tell that to Miami, dude. He went into Miami and put 51 <laughs> points on them in another revenge game. So they're nine-point nine favorites. BJ, well, the one thing I will like to see is how the crowd reacts. My guess is there is... They'd be, I think they'd be crazy to do anything but just cheer You think him. they completely embarrass themselves and boo him again? That would be... A real shame, and that would be the only reason. That's one of the main reasons I'm going to. I told my wife I had to work tonight um, because of Thanksgiving tomorrow. There's going to have to switch the schedule around. Got to got to put some time in because it can't work on Thursday. This is one of the reasons to see uh, how they're just how to welcome. <laughs> just so you know where my priorities lay in terms of my family life. But nine point favorites here. Cleveland's awful. They basically all but released J.R. Smith. Um, they're going to trade him, but that's just to say he's going to work out on his own while they try to see if they can trade him. Anyway, he's off the team now. Um, obviously, Love's still hurt. They're, the, George Hill's still hurt. The team's a total mess. Our system, I feel like it wants. I want it to be higher on LeBron here, and in terms of like the big money plays, he's just behind guys like Giannis and AD. Um, he's kind of just more in like that KD range. What are your thoughts here? Do you think? Do you think the narrative piece of it, plus like how LeBron's been playing in the short term, gets LeBron to be like sort of higher ownership, or is the price too high now? Yeah, this is this will be the one of the big questions. You know, it's basically again one of those challenge picks between him and Giannis. They're one hundred dollars separate from one another. Uh, they have LeBron probably has a slightly better matchup. You know, incidentally, I, you know, this is part of my impression too. You mentioned LeBron in your mind, I, I suppose, not really being on that same. Giannis sort of AD level of tier, but LeBron is only 0.8 fantasy points fewer than Giannis on the season. Yep. Like he's really right there in that discussion, at least in terms of raw fantasy points production. And you have to think that there's at least a little something extra about facing Cleveland for him. Like I, I'm not the huge revenge game guy, but LeBron is one of the very few players in the league. And so the re- let, let me outline why the revenge game is dumb for a second and why I think LeBron is a slight exception here. Yep. Generally, it's stupid because players just try their best every night, and that's just how how you have to play to be an NBA player. With LeBron, though, he can choose to just shoot every time if he feels like it. Right? Yes. Like if if he's out there, he's going to have the ball in his hands. He's going to elect to, and and his effort really matters too. You know, and, and not to say that he ever takes nights off, but if you're going to play 37 minutes a game for 82 games a season, like just some nights you you're going to pour it on, and some nights you're not. Right? Uh, I think that there is a chance that he is just a straight-up better play than Giannis tonight. 
I think he's probably got a better matchup than Giannis. I, I think the blowout risk is probably a little bit more significant, but I wouldn't mind playing LeBron over him, just to be honest. Yeah, I'm with you on the narrative. I never pay attention. I think 99% of the time, it's a stupid thing to say. And most people just joke when they say it because I don't think anyone really, really... Look out, if you really, yeah. really believe each time for a revenge game, then I, we have, need to have another discussion. And I agree with you that this one strikes me as just that 1% kind of sort of game that I think that he could turn it on for. And it would be weird... I think it would be real tough to, to get in, to go into this game from a DFS perspective and have to watch LeBron and be rooting against his fantasy upside. because <laughs> I, I don't mind it all the time, and this is the, the time where I just don't want to. Other guys I think that you can consider here, man, Alonzo Ball. I don't know what is going on with this guy, and I don't know if, the, if they're just – even with Rondo hurt, the minutes have not been there at all. Um, he looked awful the other night. The shooting is a straight-up train wreck disaster. <laughs> he just cannot – like the, it, whatever adjustments he made in the offseason aren't working. He can't score – I still think at 5,500 in the right kind of game, this guy, if he plays 30 minutes, he's a DFS play, and I'm factoring in the scoring because he does everything else. Like the rebounds, assists, and defensive yeah. stats are there. It's just the minutes. And I don't know if it's been a script thing. I don't know if like they're just fine with like sort of like a LeBron, Josh Hart, Brandon Ingram controls the point of attack sort of thing, and they just don't feel like they need a traditional point guard type. And that was what worries me on the minutes here. So what are your thoughts on Ball quickly? And then I have Brandon Ingram as a possible play as well, mostly because power forward sucks on Fandle. Yeah, I don't mind Ingram. Regarding Ball, it's just clear to me that they don't view him the same way as they view the other starters because, like, in the last game against Miami, all the other starters played their minutes, and Ball didn't, right? (laughs) He played 21 minutes while everyone else was playing 35-plus. So I think if you split the difference between the Miami and Orlando games— you get probably Ball's true expectation minutes-wise right now, something in that 26 to 27-minute range. I think that you can probably dream on some significant upside. Like, there are definitely going to be games where he plays mid-30s minutes, in my mind, just because we know the Lakers, all things being equal, just would prefer to play their starters, those sorts of minutes. It's probably too lazy just to make substitutions, would be my guess. Mm -hmm. But, yeah, I I think just for cash games, especially if you're going to get, like, Collison with no Oladipo, if you're going to get... Fred Van Vliet as a must-play in all your lineups, basically. I just don't think he will be the other guy that you need to play alongside those guys. On the Cleveland side, I said they're without J.R. Smith. That does free up a lot of minutes in the lineup. I'm not sure exactly where it goes. They do get Kyle Korver back here. Uh, Larry Nance at 6,000 on FanDuel. The minutes have not been there the last two games, but if he returned, if he sticks in the starting lineup, I mean, revenge game for him. Does that count? It might. Yeah. Um, the, if he played 30 minutes, then I think we could... I See, Nance is the kind of guy where... I know the minutes haven't been there in the short term, but because power forward is so thin, him at 6,000 strikes me as sort of maybe willing to risk it territory and say, <laughs> like, I, if he got the 28 minutes, he probably doesn't kill you. I, I'm only yeah, saying... I'd rather take Brandon... It's like in the same game, I'd rather take Brandon Ingram for 300 more just based on the floor. But I think Nance, for me, big GPP play for sure. Okay, let's move on. We are... And then I got... So real quick... Uh, Guys like Rodney Hood, I would like to play possibly at small forward or uh, maybe even Sexton, but the minutes, this is a team fully in the tank. So it's really. That's the See, Yasma, by the way, 30 minutes against Detroit, he could play decent minutes here, too. Yeah, he's another one. Um, he, you know, from a point, a fantasy point per minute standpoint, he's okay, not great. And if he's a guy that pushed up like 33 minutes, then I think we consider him at 5,000 at small forward on FanDuel. Um, I just don't trust the Cleveland minutes right now. I just, that's, that's mostly my, that's mostly my problem. There's not, an, there's not any of leftover guys to like warrant saying they're going to get up for the LeBron game either, too. The, the team's just such a total mess. All right, Portland goes in and plays Milwaukee. We did mention Giannis here. Our system has Giannis as the clear big-money play, and I don't love the matchup. Portland is on the back-to-back. Lillard and McCollum both went off last night against the Knicks. Um, we kind of discussed Giannis on the periphery when we talked about LeBron. I wrote him up. Are, are we too high on, Are we too high in his overall projection? Right now we have Giannis at... Yeah, I, I looked at it. 62 points or something like that. Yeah, I'm just a little uh, worried that our projection is, is, is butting up on the a little too high mark for him right now, even though he started off the season. He's, he's been so greatly. All the numbers are there, and 62 points as a mean average baseline does strike me as a little high against Portland. Yeah, so the numbers are there, and they're kind of not. And let me right. explain what I mean by that, because... On a per-minute basis, Giannis has been better than he has been in the past. Like, he's been truly good. Uh, Shooting better from the field, 55%, uh, 26 points per game in spite of playing four fewer minutes per game than he did last year. And that's really the number I want to highlight because the thing about Giannis right now is that he is still representing the whole of the Bucks' offense. But we know that this season, much more so than last year, just with Kid out of town, they're just happy to play him 31 to 34 minutes 
when the game script calls for it. Now, part of that has been the fact that the Bucks have been involved in so many blowouts. They're the best team in the East in terms of point differential overall. And they're just, like even that Chicago game where it looked like all the Giannis owners out there were like, finally, we're going to get Giannis's minutes because the the, the, uh, the Bill, what are those guys called? The Bulls. Good there Lord. The, the Bulls were up like 20 in halftime. The Bucks come back, outscore them by like 30 in the third quarter. And Giannis still doesn't play the fourth. So we know that this is part of the game script, um, or part of the plan anyway, is to take his minutes when the game's not close. So it really comes down to the minutes projection. Uh, if you do think he plays 37 minutes, he probably is just a better play than someone like LeBron and 60 fantasy points isn't unreasonable but on the season he's averaged 33 so you have to basically in order for him to get there in that projection he must play 36 to 37 minutes and you just know that on a certain percentage of games this season it hasn't happened that way so, yeah it, it's, um, this is one of those things it's always hard on a night-to-night basis to figure out and this is a lot of it comes down to game script and though that you, you can make judgments about game script based on Vegas lines and the way things sort of are going to go and those, you know, for some players, the minutes matter a little. Like you made a good point, the minutes really matter. Like the difference between thirty-three and thirty-six minutes for him at this price point is going to. It could be make or break territory for you. And well, yeah, ten percent of sixty fantasy points is six fantasy points. That's yep. a huge amount. <laughs> That's a lot. So I, this will be one that we kind of stare at because again, there's just on such a big slate. There are, I think, a lot of people are going to struggle with this decision and LeBron Giannis AD sort of movement here in terms of yeah. who they want. I'm to talking play. back into Giannis. I, I feel like uh, you, you said you're talking back into him. You think? I, th- I think I might be. Yeah. If he winds up playing the 36 minutes, which he probably should. I mean, they're they're favored by six and a half points, but Portland's a really good team. <laughs> like Portland's 11 and five or whatever on the season. So. I don't know. I, I'm I'm talking myself back into it. I think if you're gonna play Giannis and GBP, I think it makes sense to stack one of one or both of the guards going the other way. May probably Lillard a little bit more than McCollum. Um, although McCollum's price, his the, his the nature of his fantasy scoring keeps the price relatively in check because he's so scoring dependent that when you get the big volume shooting night from him, um, he will crush value, and you can just be staring at a you know a five for sixteen shooting performance that's gonna have you pretty pretty bummed out because he's not going to do anything else along the edges to kind of bring that up but i think if from uh just from a gpp perspective if you're playing giannis i think it makes sense to go the other way and say hope this game stays close because this does have a two the 226 over under is the second highest of the night factoring that we don't have the lines on the, on the toronto and the indiana game uh either um any disagreement there or anything else to think about before we move on no, I think you pretty much summed up my thoughts as well. Pistons go in and play the Rockets. Rockets are nine-point favorites here. I feel like in a game with Drummond, Blake, Harden, Paul, um, that there should be something to like from a DFS perspective. And I just, the, the over-under is really low. It's a huge slate. Not guys that my eyes really drifted towards when I was writing up picks or thinking about making lineups. And we just know some of these guys have about as much upside as anyone in basketball here. GVP only here. What are your thoughts on this game? Yeah, I think it's just a straight GPP only. I mean, if you want to look at any of these guys' game logs, you'll see plenty of games where they just don't come anywhere near hitting value. And this has all the makings of one of those games to me. Like, you know, decent defense is going both ways. Like you mentioned, low total. And both of these teams have been relatively sane in terms of injuries and whatnot recently. So especially the big names you listed, and I'll throw Capella in there as well. They've been playing consistent minutes, and they're basically to a man at season high prices so except for Blake I guess he's a little cheaper than he had been earlier this season but now nah, I'm, I'm not touching this game for cash probably again I've said this a lot of times but these are the kind of games on a big slate because if they don't stick out to us in, in our heads our system is built you know not probably too dissimilar from a lot of other projection systems we, we I think we have a fine-tuning piece that keeps us ahead of the curve but in general you're going to find you know across the industry pretty similar numbers and if our system is not calling out this game neither are other systems either I and the advantage for something like that is to say, in a GPP, you're probably going to get a Harden and a Drummond and a Blake at very low ownership because that is just not where people are going to want to allocate their salary. So again, if you're using our system, lock the you know lock in Harden and lock in Drummond, and then run the lineup around that, or lock in you know like lock in Harden and lock in uh, Blake, because in a game where it stays close, you you know that the fantasy production is coming from basically those three guys, even like even playing them together. So in t- terms of correlation plays that are probably going to have low ownership, I suspect you get these guys like 5%, 6-8% ownership in, in GPPs with, again, as much upside. Drummond has as much upside as Anthony Davis in some games when he starts when the rebounds really start to come together. Um, and I just think I think there's, there's, there's an advantage to be had there, and I think you'll, the advantage is that the ownership will be pretty low. Brooklyn goes in and plays Dallas. Yeah. Man, on a big slate, when you run a lineup and you see DeAndre Jordan 100% of your lineups at 7,500, I'm like, I get it. 
Let's go. And I also kind of don't want to do it. But I, I get it because the, the, the Nets, just the numbers against opposing centers, they, they were allowing 30% more scoring and like 40% more rebounding before last night and Hassan White's I dropped a 2020 on them. So like I haven't like I haven't looked I haven't looked at what the new numbers look like, but this is a position where if you basically just play a center against the Nets every single night, almost kind of like independent of price point, you're getting there on value. But does DeAndre Jordan for you fit the mold of a guy you want to play in a 13 game slate at 7500? Well, you have to get the minutes correct on Jordan, which is very hard to do. You know, just eyeball testing the game log isn't going to get you there. I think for me and I'm curious to know like in the old days, we would have a lot more discussions about stuff like this because I, but I think feel like now we're really on the same page. What's the correct number of minutes for? DeAndre I gave him thirty-five, Jordan? and it, it probably is a little too high. And yeah, that's too high. Um, I think the the correct number is like thirty-two. Um, yeah, I was gonna say I was in looking at it. It's probably they played in, they played in some weird games. Um, and I, I, I even I'll tell you right now, even him taking him to thirty-three minutes is still gonna push him very close to cash game lines, but only because again, even with moderate a moderate um, multiplier based on the other team, the way the other team defends certain positions. Brooklyn is is just this bad. I guess is my point. Like even with a heavily regressed number, because I don't want to like pull it one for one in terms of how we use it. Brooklyn is just so damn bad. They have no one even close to his size. He a twenty twenty a twenty rebound game is easily easily in play if the pace stays up. I guess that's more of where I'm landing. Is that like even at thirty three minutes. Let's say we took him to 33 minutes, and he was still coming up in all these lineups. Would you would you feel comfortable running him in cash games, knowing that knowing I could I could run DeAndre if the minutes were correct. I, like it's not a question of you know I'm just simply not wanting to play the guy or anything like that. I just think it, he's one of the harder players. Just Dallas in general is this way. But DeAndre, I'll just go through. I know we're we're low on time, but I think this is kind of instructive here. Over the course of this season. I'll give you how many games have been. There's been a good reason why he wouldn't play his minutes. So 50 point win against Utah. Uh, foul trouble against Chicago, 15-point game against OKC, 15-point game with foul trouble against Utah, 20-point game against Washington, 12-point loss to the Knicks where he loses minutes. I think there's enough minutes here, and then there's another foul trouble game on here as well, and that's more than half of his games on the season. <laughs> and right. In two of the games that stayed close, uh, the Memphis game and the Spurs game, he played 38 and 41 minutes. Uh, yeah, it's it's awfully tough with DeAndre. I mean, he's also another one that in close games, he can randomly lose minutes just because teams want to foul him and get him off the court. And, you know, his free throw shooting, uh, while maybe not quite as bad as it's been in the past, is probably still something of a pain point. I mean, he's shooting 81% on the season, but he's still coming off his season where he shot 58%. So I'm, I'm not quite ready to, to crown him just yet. But um, And Dallas could also just simply still perceive him that way and, and cut his minutes on that basis. Yeah, I think Dodger is probably a fine play. I think... Pinning down the minutes on him and the rest of these Dallas guys is very, very difficult. Yeah, um, they the injury news on them is that they're going to be without Wes Matthews again. Dwight Powell is questionable, so we'll have to maybe that probably only makes sense for some of the bench minutes. And then right now, Dennis Smith and Berea are both questionable as well. So yeah. I think there's going to be this is a game that could open that, that definitely could unlock some value, specifically if sure. if one of those two guards sat along with Matthews. I think we get another probably big minute game out of Harrison Barnes. Uh, Harrison Barnes can be a fun little DFS sweat, and by, I'm putting fun in quotes because like he's a guy that can just stand yeah. around on the court and do a whole hell of a lot of nothing, even having the minutes. And he's also a guy that can pile on the points, and the variability is what makes him usually just come a little bit cheaper. I did lower DeAndre to 33 minutes, and he's still coming in every lineup. So um, I'd like, a, by the way, Dorian Finney-Smith has also been playing minutes. Sorry, uh, I wrote him been, up too. I think as well. he's had yep. starts in back-to-back games and. Top 26 fantasy points in each, so yeah. I think he's definitely in play tonight. Too. Good job remembering him because I did write him up as a guy that um, he his minutes seem very assured uh, with the mat. With he's he's clearly just the guy yes. that they're playing uh, in in the West Matthews spot as they kind of shift around and just want to play more wings. All right, let's keep mm-hmm. moving. Uh, we have Memphis and San Antonio. Uh, from a DFS perspective, is this a full skip? I don't even see the GPP upside in this game. Yep, I think you pretty much summed up my thoughts. Yeah. <laughs> I was really hoping we were going to get to go fast through this one. <laughs> yep, no, yeah, 201 over under, thin spread. Both these, both these teams are good, and they're just slow as hell, and this, whatever, we can move on. And so. they played pretty consistent minutes, too. So uh, Sacramento yeah. and Utah is sort of another one where the, the, the over under is actually not bad on this one, 218. Utah is minus 9.5 point favorites. I would definitely take the Kings on this on this side of the bet. Um, I this seems crazy to me the way Utah's playing especially sort of some of the trouble that they're have, having scoring the fact that the thought that they can take this Kings this much out of it even at home I mean, what are your thoughts here bro? I'm gonna write up a betting article today I almost am sure this is one that's gonna come in as a bet on the King side 
I'm not sure I totally see it from the DFS perspective, though. Yeah, it's tricky because the Kings are probably only second to Atlanta when we think about, well, maybe New Orleans too, but they're right up there when we think about great DFS matchups and the fact that the game has, you know, like in our mind anyway, a relatively close spread, you know, when it comes to the DFSR projections. I think you, and so all of a sudden I'm feeling like, hey, I should be able to make a case for a bunch of these Utah guys. Uh, the problem is that Utah, when they're not giving guys weird minutes, they're, you know, Donovan Mitchell, like he's just a case study in this, right? You can go last five games, 21 fantasy points, 16 fantasy points, 47, 50, 10. Yeah. And it's Indiana. So, uh, yeah, you just got to, you got to guess right on these Utah guys, you know, Gobert, uh, kind of the same way. Like it was driving me completely insane to have him against Philly where basically he plays his role too well, gets him beat into foul trouble, and then sits on that basis. So Utah used to be a source of relatively consistent minutes on their higher-end guys. They are no longer that. And on again, on a 13-game slate, they're just off my list. Uh, in terms of our projections, we have Utah winning this game by four. So it, it, for our projection standpoint, you're getting – you're basically getting gifted five five points to start from the Kings. I Let's go. again, this is going to be almost one that I'm almost for sure going to write up in a betting article that's going to come out later on uh, today. And I think there's there are some concerns. Well, one last thing, I think there are some concerns about uh, the defense that Utah has been playing. Their defense has just not been at the level we've seen it from other yep. uh, other seasons. Like Gobert, his minutes have been have variable. He didn't play a lot of minutes the other night for no reason. He wasn't in foul trouble or anything. I think they're increasingly concerned about like what they're doing on the defensive end and the. They're still slow team, but in terms of just like them being this crazy defensive efficiency where centers can't score, that really hasn't been the case this season. They yeah. can turn it around. They have to say they have good personnel, but uh, this is something that we're going to definitely want to keep an eye on. One and more thing, Kings, Kings better point differential than the Jazz on the season. So, yeah, they're they're, they're 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 uh, they're underrated still. I think that this again, like I think this is one. If you can get this line at nine and a half, I would I would happily take this going into the. I'm about the, to hammer it while we finish the podcast. All right, final game here, and this is another big one: OKC and Golden State. Russ came back last game, had sat out for a while. Then he, he was over the injury, but he had a birth of his birth of his kids and was kept him out. Um, I think two games or one or two games. So it wasn't an injury issue that had kept him out. The last one, because he came back with uh, no minutes restriction and promptly just and they lost to the Kings because of course. But um, from a fantasy perspective, <laughs> Russ Kings are good, man. He's the other guy though I want to discuss it here in terms of like the big money payoff. So he came back, went twenty nine points, thirteen rebounds, seven assists, and thirty seven minutes. Took twenty five shots. Did not worry about that. It was so funny too because like OKC had been playing like sort of pretty well without him. They were five and six in the previous six games that they didn't play with him, playing near lockdown defense, like basically allowing other teams only around a hundred points per game. I mean, actually even less over that time. And then he comes back and the Kings promptly drop 717 on him. Um, I, what, I, I don't know. What are your thoughts here? I, I, like Russ is a great fantasy play. I, I think he actually must. There's possibilities like making the team more specific on the defensive end. Is he a guy Thanks. that we want to? Is he a guy that we want to hammer as a, a big money play? Like how close is he to the other guys that we mentioned before? I think he's actually close. I think when you take away two of Golden State's best players, <laughs> Draymond Green and Steph Curry, uh, you bring them back down to earth a bit. Uh, the, you know, I, I can't believe I'm going to do this twice in one podcast, but like Russ versus KD, Russ is another one of these guys we've yes. seen where he just gets to choose. Like it's tonight going to be the night where I'm the jerk and I never, ever pass. And I'm just, I just do everything. And this could be one of those games. Doug. <laughs> I have to think he's going to be involved in every single possession and in a game with a one point spread that our system sees similarly. Yeah. I think Russ is, is a very, very good play. Um, you can't pay up everywhere. We already know we have probably just a, a strictly better play in Van Vliet at the point guard position, but in that point guard two slot, I, I'd be all about it. And by the way, Russ being back makes me completely unlikely to play anyone else on this OKC. Oh, OKC they're all the, yeah, the same time. they're all priced like he's not there anymore, um, exactly. and he's just sure. he becomes the entire offense again. Unclear if that makes him better. I from from the record, it doesn't seem like it does. But um, he's another guy, and he fits in the LeBron camp for me of. If I did not play them in DFS, these would be very hard games to watch like and t- try to sweat out what they're going to do because, yeah, the, the max effort, 30 shots, 38 minutes, wanting to Absolutely. just break Durant's neck because you know Durant is the, is the man here now with, with Curry and Draymond out. Like, 
he's another guy. And I, we can get him going the other way, too. Like, what are your thoughts on Durant? Now, OKC has played very good defense in the season. But, again, that's a lot of that is without Westbrook. I can't. Like, we have to make adjustments yeah, here. Yeah, but I don't think Westbrook influences how they would cover Durant. I think it would still be Paul George. And I think George is still one of the better defensive small forwards in the league. And I think he's also on the very, very, very short list of guys who can credibly cover a guy like Durant. So I think that actually this is a tough enough matchup for Durant. And Durant's just, let's be real, his fantasy points per game on the season don't support a 10-7 price tag. And unlike some of these other guys, I don't think it's necessarily because the minutes haven't been there. Like, he can happily play 36, 37 minutes a game and either scrape by or just not get there on this price. So I I could play Durant. I think there's some chance that that, you know, revenge factor, good Lord, uh, going (laughs) up against Westbrook is, is there, but I don't feel like I need to force it either. I'll tell you, people aren't going to want to see this. Clay Thompson for me is close to a cash Let's game go. lock. Um, like I, yeah, 6,800 on FanDuel, 66 on DraftKings. I'm going to make my quick case. Easy. I'll make my quick case for Clay uh, before we get out of here. One of the knocks on Clay in the past has been when Curry is off the court, Clay has trouble, quote unquote, making his own shot or creating his own shot. Um, that is actually has borne out in some ways because the usage has in in past has not really gone crazy with, with Steph off the court. That is not the case this season. And if you watch them play, Clay is clearly doing something that he has not done in the past, which is taking guys off the dribble for threes. This has led to a decrease, I think, in like his overall three-point shooting. He's shooting 26% over his last five games. But it's led to an increase in how many shots he's taken. This guy's taken 23 shots a game over the last five games, 10 three-pointers per game. If you think there's even a little bit of run bad, this guy's a, by the way, this guy's a 42% career three-point shooter. Uh, the, uh, Five for 27 in his last 27. Among the, among the very best of all time shooting threes. Even if you think the shots are <laughs> a, li- a little bit different. <laughs> like, if you think they're a little bit different, because, again, he's taking more guys off the dribble, the looks are just, you know, 10%, 15% less because you don't have Draymond setting picks or Curry opening up stuff. No. I, I Clay, to me, is a close of a cash game lock, and I know people aren't going to want to see it. The volume shooting... Is just going to be there in this game. Is there? Am I off the rails here in thinking this? Like I, I spent a lot of time looking at this last night, and he's in about 100 percent of our lineups right now. No, I, I think that's the right amount of lineups for him to be in. Uh, the guy shot 50 times in the last two games, <laughs> and he shot 22 threes in that time, and only made five of them. Like that's not going to last forever, unless. And there's no word that he's injured. It does. Eyeball test wouldn't suggest that either. I think he's an excellent play, much too cheap in the current, like in the current Golden State situation like no curry no draymond i'm just getting durant and clay and durant has a tough matchup and golden state has shown a willingness to want to spread it out i think it's a great play and your kids are screaming it back because they're excited about the clay thompson yeah they're, they're just hollering dude that sounds like uncle kyle might be here that's that's thanksgiving for you buddy that's authentic right <laughs> oh there. that is that's awesome i usually get when the kids and my kids and your kids when they get in the background it's like oh i gotta edit this out that's a good one to have cheering for clay one last thing about clay here they had he had a quote the I'm other. Gonna let it go. I'm not even gonna mute myself. Go ahead. I don't care. They uh they had a quote. He had a quote the other night. I usually don't read too much in the quotes, but they asked someone asked him about the struggle shooting, and he plays like such a, like a unique personality and so goddamn confident. I just love it. He was like, he basically to paraphrase, he said, "Man, these are the best three point like these are the best three point looks that you'll ever get in like NBA history. They're just gonna start going down. Like basically saying like I'm just one of the best ever. Like I'm just gonna keep chucking because they're just eventually gonna fall. And I read that quote. I was like, oh yeah, I want to play him even more. And if you're gonna if you can last thing if you can attack the Thunder. You can attack them around the perimeter. This Westbrook, uh, Diallo slash like Terrence Ferguson defense around the perimeter <laughs> yeah. is easily the wor- very worst part of their defense. Like fighting through screens and getting and like just kind of fighting up and over picks for them is just not something that Westbrook ever really wants to do. And Diallo, yeah. I think these, they're not capable of doing it. So yeah. if there's a guy that's going to Roberson, these guys ain't for sure. Oh, exactly. Okay, we're going to get out of here. Big Friday in basketball. We got in under the gun. DFSR.com slash deals. Get you started on our projection system. Go check it out. Tonight's a great night to jump in the chat. Uh, we there's going to be a lot of people around talking basketball. I will say, if someone asked, uh, as a someone asked, you know, where should I go for DFS news up to the minute? I said Twitter's a great place, and I said our chat is all, just as fast as Twitter at this point. Like they are in terms of updating injury news for people, it's basically just crowdsourcing in, uh, news across the industry. And I at times have found that our chat is the best place to go if I'm just trying to keep track of like what who's going to play on a given night. So go check it out, dfsr.com slash deals. Get you started. Buddy, enjoy your Wednesday night of basketball, your Thursday of football. Go say hi to Uncle Kyle. I'll talk to you later. Go ahead. Inhale good. Wouldn't that smell better with farm-rich mozzarella sticks in front of you? Yes, find farm-rich in the freezer aisle and enjoy. 
The Starlight Lounge presents An Evening with the Progressive Box. The moon, yeah. That's Hugo, tickling the ivories. He just saved by bundling home and auto with Progressive. Gonna finally buy a ring for that gal of yours, Hugo? Send her my condolences. Hi-oh! This next one's for you, too. There's a burglar in my heart. Thank you. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Discounts not available in all states or situations.